0: incredible day. Well, hey, if you've got a copy of God's word, uh, either a physical copy or on your phone, uh, turn to Colossians chapter two and all of you watching online, welcome. We're so happy to see you today. Colossians chapter two, we're going to begin in verse 16. If you do not have a copy of God's word, we want you to have that as a free gift from us today. And you go to our next steps area, which is out in the commons. You just say, I need a copy of God's Word. We'll give it to you. Colossians 2, verse 16. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. A lot of ground to cover. So let's just jump in. All right. Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by by their sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ... You have died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Referring to things that are all peri- that will all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made. Religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been ripped off before? Yeah. They say a sucker is born every day, right? How many of y'all are suckers? (laughs) All right. Uh, we live in a world of fraud. Uh, have you ever heard of something called deepfake? Uh, we're going to see more and more as we get closer to the election. There's a lot of deepfake going on, AI generated. There's a lot of fake news. Have you ever heard of something called phishing? Not with a rod and a reel. Scams. Last year, Americans lost $8.8 billion in scams. Con artists have gotten more sophisticated uh, than ever before, they use fake emails, they send you to fake websites, social media accounts are fraudulent and fakes, there's catfishing going on, fraudulent text messages. We live in a world of fraud and scams. David McClellan, who is the CEO of Social Catfish said, that people, the reason why we are falling to these scams is that people are overly trusting of the technology they're using. We're gullible. So let me give you some helpful hints to help you from fraud this week. Number one, the IRS will never text message you to ask for personal information. So if you get a message from the IRS saying that they need you to pay a fee to get your rebate, your tax rebate? It is a scam, just so you know. Never email your bank account information to someone you do not know. And always check their email address before sending the money. Now, here's the most important one. Stay with me. Understand that no one from the opposite sex that you do not know is going to message you because you are really hot. And even if they say they're in love with you, they are not. (laughs) Most of these frauds are about taking money from you. And as bad as it is to get ripped off financially, it's even more devastating to get ripped off spiritually. Some of you have been hurt by the church. Some of you have been hurt by those who call themselves Christians. Some of you have been hurt by those who claim to be good, trustworthy, religious people, but at the end, they had ulterior motives. Some of you have been wrecked by religious traditions that felt more like a Ponzi scheme or a cult following than the church of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you have had You have PTSD and trauma. And if there's one place where you should not receive a traumatic experience, it should be the church. But yet, many people have been so traumatized by the church that they want to give up on Christianity altogether. If that is you today, this message is for you. Paul is writing to a young church in Colossae, in the Lycus Valley in Asia Minor, next to the Lycus River. They were a church that was growing. They were known for faith and love and hope in the gospel. And Paul, even though he had never met them, was writing with a deep concern for them that they could be spiritually ripped off by con artists who had ulterior motives. Paul understood what it was like to be ripped off spiritually because for the majority of his adult life prior to his conversion to Christ, he had been ripped off by legalism. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a zealot without a cause, and someone who was in the bondage of trying to always constantly prove his worth to God. And that's why Paul, from experience, says, as we looked at last week in chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive. That word captive means to gain control of or to rob. Paul says... See to it that no one rips you off by things that sound good, that appeal to you, but are not good for you. Why this is such an issue for the Colossians is that the town of Colossae sat on a major trade route that connected the east and the west. People from literally all over the world brought not only their goods and their services, but also brought their different religious systems with them. There was Greek philosophy, Roman polytheism, Jewish legalism, and various cults worshiping different gods and goddesses. And the people were tempted to take upon themselves syncretism, in which would be a, uh, a desire, which is really what's happening in America today, uh, of a buffet of beliefs. And so we want a we side of Jesus with a side of New Ageism, with a side of legalism and then hold the guilt. And so people were coming to the Church of Colossae and they were pressuring these new believers to join their religious syncretism. See, it's been said that Satan loves to either do one of two things when it comes to religion. He either, one, wants to dress up empty religion to make it look more appealing, or he, two, wants to distort true religion to make it look appalling. So Paul here is warning believers by telling them what to watch out for and what to hold on to. He is warning them not to fall into the slavery of bad religion and follow the shadow of empty religion, but to rest in the substance of Jesus Christ. So let's unpack that. Number one, what to watch out for the shadow of empty religion. Verse 16, uh, he says, therefore, it's been said that when you see a therefore, what's it there for? And so that is therefore to point us to what he just said in verses 8 through 15, in which the summary would be this. Paul says, do not get ripped off by the empty philosophy of the world, according to human tradition that is demonic. And the reason why is because you have complete forgiveness and total freedom in Jesus Christ. You don't need it. So he says, therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you. He says, don't let someone criticize you. Don't let someone condemn you because you are free and have forgiveness in Christ. Well, why would Paul say don't let anyone judge them? It's because people were judging them. Now, the great theologian Tupac said this, only God can judge me. And Paul would say, amen. The reality is, is that we cannot stop people from running their mouths. Haters will hate But we can stop listening to them and we can stop internalizing their words. We can stop criticizing and condemning ourselves based on what other people think or say to us. And yet the reality is that if we are pretty honest, most of us live enslaved to other people's opinions. Most of us are constantly trying to please other people, live up to their standard and meet their expectations. And so Paul says, let no one judge you In questions of food and drink and festivals and new moons and Sabbath. And now you're like, oh, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, this is talking about Jewish law. And there would be people who came to church and would judge people over diets and judge people over days. Uh, these things that he talks about here, food, drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths were religious ceremonial activities that were for the people of God that set them apart from the nations around them and also were used to show their devotion to God. But some people had elevated these activities to being necessary for someone to be right with God and to go to heaven. And yet what we have to understand is that the Old Testament laws were never meant to save us. They were only meant to point us to our need of a Savior. That's why he says in verse 17, these things are shadows of things to come. A shadow is a silhouette of an object or a person. person. It is a preview of coming attraction. It is not reality, but it points you to reality. Now, sometimes shadows are fun. Have you ever played around with making little doggies or bunnies or whatever? They're funny. They can be entertaining. Often as a kid, shadows are scary. Often we blow them out of proportion. But Paul says, listen, the things that, that they 're judging you by, they 're judging you by shadows, the substance, the reality belongs to Christ. These laws were not meant to save you, they were meant to point you because you don't need a shadow, you need a savior. Uh, let me illustrate this a little bit further. Uh, last week, I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I love Naples it. I 'm just going to tell you straight up. <laughs> i 've been all the way around the world in Eastern Kentucky three or four times. And I love living in sunny Southwest Florida. Amen. You can praise the Lord for that. And all you people visiting us right now, we love you. See you when you leave, but God bless you. All right. (laughs) So I was traveling to Phoenix with my, um, by myself, I was there for some meetings with IMB. And so when I'm gone, my family, you know, back in the old days, you would write letters when you were far away and now you can call phones. You remember when you used to get those little, those little cards that you could get like 30 minutes for like 40 bucks and you could call somebody a long distance and then, then it, now you have cell phones and you could talk on the phone uh, and if you wanted to stay connected. But now the, the next generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, it's all about FaceTime. So like when I was, I remember when I was dating uh, in like high school, we would talk on like a landline phone for four hours, three and a half hours we're just hearing each other breathe, okay? <laughs> but now you gotta see each other, so you gotta look good, you gotta have the good filters anyway. So I don't know why I'm telling you all this, other than, so me and my family, we FaceTime while I'm gone. So we talk to each other, we FaceTime, because it's a good way. It's not me in person, but it's the closest thing to me in person. And so eventually I come home, I'm in the kitchen, I have a kid who is in their room, and while I'm in the kitchen, they're in their room, I'm in the house, they're in the house, and I get a phone call, a FaceTime call, from one of my kids. (laughs) I said to this kid, hello? They said, where are you at? I said, I'm in the kitchen. (laughs) Where are you at? I'm in my room. Why did you call? Since you're in the kitchen, will you bring me something? (laughs) Dude, it's like 25 feet. (laughs) He was relying on FaceTime because he was lazy. (laughs) You don't need... I'm here. You, you could come to me. You, you could come get. I'm here. What do you what? So here's the reality. We don't need shadows when we've got the person. So Paul is in this text going to talk about shadows that we chase after. I got a little puppy dog. She loves to chase after shadows. Where oh, where oh, where is shadow? There are three shadows, religious shadows. Paul is going to unpack these. We're going to try to do the same. The first shadow is legalism. The second is mysticism. And the third is asceticism. And you're like, what in the Sam Hill? You're not alone in thinking, what are you talking about? But I will tell you that all three of these, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, are still around today. They're just in different packages. All three of these religious shadows tell you something wrong and lead you astray when it comes to your standing before God. Legalism tells you that your standing before God is based on what you do for God. Mysticism teaches that your standing before God is based on what you feel or experience. And asceticism is based, It says that your standing before God is based on what you don't do. So legalism is based on what you do. Mysticism is what you feel. and uh, Mysticism is what you feel and asceticism is what you don't do. The reality is, is that our natural heart defaults to one of those three or all of those three to figure out our standing before God. And I'm gonna let you in on something. This is group therapy, okay, with a couple thousand of you. Most good days... If I'm honest, I feel like I'm about 95% saved. Now on bad days, I feel about 50% saved. And when Kentucky loses, it's about 20%. (laughs) The reason why is, look, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe that God loves me. I believe that God forgives me, but yet I functionally live and operate As if the other 5% is based on either what I do for God, what I don't do, and then I'm constantly seeking after some feeling, some experience to give me assurance that I really am a child of God. Can I get a witness on that one? So here's what I want to do, and I don't have a lot of time, but if you just give me some time, I want to help you with this. I really wanna help you with this because I think some of you have been chasing the shadows of do and feel and don't do and you have no joy in your life. So the first shadow is legalism. That's what he's talking about in questions of food and drink and festivals and new moons. It's a religion, it's a shadow of do. Legalism can be better defined as this. It is measuring someone's spirituality and relationship with God based on their ability to keep either rules or traditions. Legalism is the conviction that rule keeping is the basis for our acceptance with God. Legalism promotes the earning and keeping of God's pleasure based upon what I do for God. It is performance based and it puts activity before identity. It's been said that there are 10,000 religions in the world. You can take the 10,000 religions in the world and boil them down to two different views. One is a performance view, a human performance view, and the other is a God performance view. 9,999 religions in the world are human performance-based. It's what I must do for God, for God to accept me, to love me, to transform me, to change me. Only one religion remains steadfast. It's based on God's performance for me, and that's Christianity. But if we get down to it, even though we clap to that one, (laughs) we're natural born legalists. So here's my question for you. When you think about what it means to be a Christian, do you think about it primarily based on your activity for God or your identity in Christ? In other words, do you base what you do and don't do for God as the standing for your salvation or is it based on what Jesus has done for you? If we're honest, in our hearts, we base our salvation on our activity for God. And then we'll judge other people. Because here's the deal, Pickles. <laughs> we love to judge other people by certain standards most of which are preferable and easier to us. See, we think that if we meet certain standards, God is happy with us and we're good. So let me give you a goofy example. I'm six foot three, six foot four. It's dependent on the shoes I'm wearing and my hair that day. (laughs) And let's just say because I'm six foot four today, that my standard for salvation is you've got to be able to reach this high. We'll say it's eight and a half feet. Now that's my standard. If you can't reach my standard, then you're not right with God. Now that's biased, isn't it? It's biased towards my height. It's biased towards my arm length. But it is not in the Bible. It's a self made standard. But I'm going to impose that standard on myself, and I'm going to impose that standard on you. And so if someone shorter than me comes along the way, Pastor Ryan, would you come up here? <laughs> Ryan, do you want to go to heaven? Do you really wanna go to heaven? You gotta reach this high. Why aren't you? No, you can't use (laughs) tippy-toes, that's against the Bible. Why, why, Why aren't you as tall as me? I have no clue. You should try harder to get taller. All right, you can go be seated, all right? You're not going to heaven, by the way, Ryan. You didn't reach my standard. That's what legalism is. You think that's funny? That's reality. Because here's what legalists will say. You can't be a Christian if you do that. You can't be a Christian if you think that. You can't be a Christian if you voted for them. If I had a mic, I would drop it. (laughs) And here's the other reality. We'll often rip ourselves off by our own legalism because we will take something not in the Bible or we will take something in the Bible that someone says and twists and we will use it against ourselves because some of you have gone through religious traditions and certain churches and it's all about guilt and it's all about shame. And the only way that you feel like you could ever have any hope of heaven is you've got to say ten Hail Marys, five Our Fathers. You've got to do penance. You've got to take communion. You've got to be a good person. And maybe, just maybe, you won't spend but only a hundred years in purgatory. Y'all smelling when I'm stepping in here? Paul says it's a shadow. You're chasing the shadow and it gets you nowhere. But we all have a tendency towards it because we're hardwired to believe we can save ourselves. That's the first shadow. Second shadow is the shadow of feeling. Paul would call this, we would call this mysticism. Verse 18, he says, don't let anyone disqualify you. That word means to decide against like an umpire, like a referee. Don't let anyone call you out of bounds. Based on what? Based on what you feel mysticism is measuring someone's spirituality and relationship with God based on personal experiences in Paul's day. The people would say this, they would insist on asceticism. We'll talk about that in a moment and the worship of angels and going in detail about visions in Paul's day. People would go out into the desert. They would go out into the wilderness. They would fast for days. And while they were fasting for days by themselves, they would beat themselves with whips, beat themselves with rods. And after fasting for days and beating themselves for days, they would somehow get a vision. And so would you. They were told by the gurus that if they call out to the angel Gabriel, call out to the angel Michael, they will receive an angelic vision. And so in Paul's day, they worshiped angels and they had little lucky charms with angels names on them that would be worn to protect against the demonic. Now, look, I am not telling you that we should not seek after deeper experiences with God Henry Back Blackerby, who just passed away, wrote that incredible book, Experiencing God. We want deep, meaningful experiences with God, but we do not take the deep, meaningful experiences of God that we have and then judge other people that they don't have the same experience we do. Because Paul says that they are puffed up without reason, they have false humility they believed that because they felt what they felt and experienced what they experienced that anyone who didn't feel what they felt and experienced what they experienced was not a good or not even a real Christian. Because they made their experiences and their methodology a litmus test for whether or not someone is going to heaven. Let me just let you in on something. Any true experience with God will lead to humility, never pride. Pride. But yet we have a lot of people who are spiritual thrill seekers, who are going after looking for experience after experience, conference after conference, looking for this new age technique and that different mystical way, and they are missing out on the most important person, Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with seeking deeper experiences with God, but we should never seek those experiences more than we seek God. There are people who will tell you if you've not spoken in tongues, if you've not received a vision, if you've not had a tingling feeling go down your spine, you are not going to heaven. And that is not in the Bible. And anyone who says that, Paul says they're not holding fast to the head. They've disconnected themselves from Christ. If you have no head, you are dead. And if you are dead, you have no hope. We don't chase experiences. So don't chase the shadow of do. Don't chase the shadow of feel. Don't chase the shadow of don't do. Asceticism. Many of you grew up in churches that were, a, were more like this. A lot of Baptist churches are like this because the philosophy of a lot of Baptist churches are this, uh, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't kiss girls who Do. And we think, well, if I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't kiss the girls who do, then that means that God loves me and he has a wonderful plan for my life. And that's what was happening in asceticism. Asceticism is measuring someone's relationship with God based on what they deny themselves and how much they suffer for God to prove their devotion to him. A modern-day example of asceticism is CrossFit. Where you kill yourself working out like a maniac, you starve yourself to be in a community that constantly competes against itself. That's asceticism. Asceticism, Paul says, why do you submit yourself to regulations? Verse 20, don't handle, don't taste, don't taste, don't touch. Basically, there were those who believed that if they denied themselves certain things through personal discipline, that they could somehow earn God's approval and be more spiritual. Paul says, here's the problem. They have an appearance of wisdom, but they are no value. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's why. Stay with me. This is muy importante. A religion of don't doesn't work. Because a religion of don't sounds good. A religion of don't sounds right. But a religion of don't doesn't make us good or right with God. Again, some of you say, well, you know, I don't do what everybody else does. I'm right with God. I don't watch that. I don't drink that. I don't smoke that. I don't chew that. I don't watch that. I don't do any of the things everybody else does. And because I don't do what they do, I'm better than they are. The problem with that is this. It doesn't get to the heart of the problem because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. External restraints don't fix internal problems. Wow. Paul said self-made religion is useless in dealing with the indulgence of the flesh. What happens is, is, that in Baptist churches, a lot of them are legalistic churches or ascetic churches. It's all about sin management. It's all about self-discipline, but sin management and self-discipline don't have the power to change your heart. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's not the outside in, it's the inside out. And self-denial and self-discipline, they're not bad. We need a little bit more of it. Some of y'all need a whole lot more of it. But self-denial and self-discipline do not reach the heart because once you lose grip of your discipline, you go right back to the person you always was. Because reformation without transformation leads to ultimate degradation and final condemnation. Don't chase the shadows. The shadows of do this and God will love you. The shadow of feel this and you know that God loves you. The shadow of don't do this and you can guarantee that God loves you. That's what you watch out for. A religion of do, feel, and don't do. Here's what you should hold on to. The substance of your identity in Christ. Verse 20a, we're going to get to this idea of identity. You're going to have to indulge me about another four hours of message, so stay with me. <laughs> if you died with Christ, again, Paul is going back to our identity with Christ. This is a theme. If you've been writing with us these past couple of months in this text, you will know that this is a euphemism. Died with Christ is a way of saying we have been identified with Christ, and we are identified with Christ in his death. And the beauty of being identified with Christ in his death is that because uh, we are with Christ in death, we died with him and therefore we are free from the obligations of the world. Think about this. If you owe a ton of money, when you die, you're debt free. That's my plan for being debt free. (laughs) Right? Like I was almost debt free and then I moved to Naples. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. <laughs> I owe, okay, anyway. I don't know where that came from. When you and I died from Christ, with Christ, we were free from the demands of the law. So stay with me. The gospel of Jesus Christ liberates us from the enticing deception and the exhausting demands of self-made religion. Our death with Christ has freed us from the shackles of other people's opinions. Christ has freed us from the need of trying to save ourselves and earning acceptance and approval from God based on what we do or don't do or feel or don't feel. But we didn't just die with him. Verse one of chapter three, if then you have been raised with Christ, we didn't just die with him, we've been resurrected with him. And so now Paul goes into that deeper, deeper, uh, uh, goes back to those gospel realities that define our identity in Christ. Here's what you have to understand. The gospel teaches us that our identity in Christ precedes our activity for Christ the, God, the, the, the gospel of religion and the shadows of religion, it is do this, don't do this, feel this. That's activity. It says activity comes before identity. That if you do these things, don't do these things, or feel these things, then you are this. The gospel is the opposite. The gospel says you are this, and because of that, you do this, you don't do this, and you feel that. So let's unpack it. Stay with me. We got like, again, five hours. Here we go. We died. Paul says if you've been risen with Christ, understand you died. The old you, the old you that was consumed by legalism, mysticism, asceticism, the old sexually perverted, self righteous, angry, unhappy, arrogant, nasty, potty mouthed you, died. That guy knows. And yet we've been raised with Christ. We didn't stay dead, we're alive. His victory is our victory. His life is our life. Stop acting like you've been weaned on a dill pickle and just sour defeated. You have an abundant, resurrected life. I gotta remind myself, all eight times this season, Kentucky is lost. That this world is not my home and I cannot pin my hope on 20-year-olds. Throwing a ball in a hoop. Now, if they win, I'll get joy, but if they lose, pray for me, all right? So we've died, we've been risen, but then he continues, and we don't have time to go through all of this. We are hidden. That is, we're secure. Some of you say, Pastor, if I'm a Christian, why do I still sin? Because you're still on the earth, and so you're in this in-between, already a Christian saved, justified, heaven-bound, but yet you're still on this earth, so it's already not yet. But even in the middle, you are hidden. You're like a caterpillar in the cocoon you're secure. Christ is your life, your new identity. His record is your record. He doesn't just give you life, but he is your life. And you're now seated at the right hand of God just because you're seated with Christ. The right hand of God was the place of honor. If you're a Christian, you're seated with Christ. And therefore God delights in you as if you had done everything Jesus has done. And when God sees you, he sees you free from anything you've ever done wrong. Rich Mullins said this, there is nothing we can do that would make God love us more and nothing we can do that would make God love us less than he loves us in Jesus Christ. So what makes you a Christian is not what you do, not what you don't do, and not what you feel. What makes you a Christian is that you are in Christ. Let me illustrate this. We had a guy a couple years ago who was on our staff, his name was Troy Marigos. Here's his picture, okay? Troy is working in Washington, D.C. He's hoping to be a church planter. We're gonna hopefully come alongside of him as he plants churches. His family attend our church here. So Troy, that was, that's Troy kind of today. When Troy was in college, he went to the University of Wisconsin. Now, I cannot stand the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> Because in 2015, they defeated my beloved, undefeated at the time, Kentucky Wildcats. But Troy, when he was in college, was this. He was Bucky the Badger. And Bucky is probably the ugliest mascot in America. And so I was talking to Troy this week, and I said, Troy, tell me what it was like to be Bucky the Badger. And so go back to the other slide. He said this, he says, when I used to go to football games in street clothes, I would walk into a stadium filled with 80,000 people and no one would notice who I was. But then when I walked in like that... All of a sudden, all 80,000 fans didn't just see Troy Marigos, they saw, they saw Bucky the Badger. And he said people would line up to see him, get their picture with him, give him high fives, people would come up to him and say, hi, Bucky. And Troy said, it took me a while to kind of realize they were talking to me. He said, I got all the love, all the attention, all the affirmation as if I were Bucky the Badger himself. And then he wrote this. He says, I had to learn how Bucky interacted differently with people. I had to learn how to walk like Bucky, do things like Bucky, and do things that Bucky would do in any given situation. It changed me to be more like Bucky than I was before. That's what it means to be in Jesus Christ. When you surrender to Jesus Christ, you put Jesus Christ on. And so that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And therefore, he gives to you all the attention, all the affirmation, and all the love that your heart needs. And in response to this love, we think different, we look different, we act different, and we love different. That's why Paul says, if you have, amen, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. When you are in Christ, you are free to live for Christ. You don't need the approval of others because you already got God's approval. You don't have to live in the fear of the shadows of do, feel, and don't do. You just keep seeking after and setting your mind on the things above so that the things of the world grow strangely dim and you begun your journey to him. Why chase after shadows when you can have the savior? Don't get ripped off. The worst rip off that could ever happen to you is thinking you're going to heaven and finding out at the end you're not. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Jesus, we, we did this for you and we experienced this for you and we felt this for you and we didn't do what others did for you. And then Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They were ripped off because they were chasing after religion and didn't have a relationship. What about you? Are you chasing after religion? Are you banking on your baptism, on your church membership? A lot of people think that when they die, it's just a big scale. And if they're good outweighs their bad, they're in. What are you depending on? Because those people said the right things and did the right things, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, we live in a day of cultural Christianity. We live in a day where we equate our political affiliation with our faith, and we have to understand that they're two separate things. If you died right now and you stood before God and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? Is it going to be, I did this? I didn't do that? I felt this one time? Or is it going to be, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm depending on what he's done for me to be good enough? I want to just say that some of you are living in the shadows of religion and you're gonna die and go to hell. You may not like that. And I love you too much to let you stay in the shadows. So I don't care what your religion is. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You say, how do I know? The terms for relationship with Jesus Christ Our absolute surrender. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I want to give you an opportunity to do so right now. I want you to run from your religion and I want you to run into the arms of Jesus. So would you just bow your heads? Please nobody leave unless you're having a medical emergency. Just close your eyes. This is life and death. This is eternity. And I don't want to leave here with you not knowing that you have a relationship with him. And so if you're here and you've, your heart's beating out of your chest, maybe I don't, you may have even been, been a member of this church for years. And you're like, pastor, I'm a fraud. I've been ripped off. I'm not saved. I'm not right with God. Then I want to give you an opportunity right now to pray and surrender your life to him. There's no magic in the prayers, it's just a way to say I surrender. So would you pray this prayer with me? Or whatever words, you can either repeat after me, or whatever words come to your heart, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I've been living in the shadows of religion Today I see that what I need is not more religion. Is I need a relationship with you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. So I ask that you forgive me of all my sins and save me. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray that for those in this room or those watching online, that if they just in that moment surrendered their life to you for the very first time, that they would have the courage and the boldness to make it known that they would not rest their faith on a feeling or what they do or don't do, but they would rest their faith on what Jesus has done for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bowed, every eye goes, please just don't look around. Here's what I want you to do. If you just, for the first time, prayed to trust Christ as your Savior. In our last service, we had over 10 people raise their hands, and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands. If you're here today and you trusted Christ for the very first time, you just surrendered your life to Christ, I don't care if you've been, like I said, if you've been a member of this church all your life, but you weren't really saved, you need to get saved. So if you did today, would you just raise your hand as high as you can raise it? Nobody's looking but me. I see you. Raise it as high as you can raise it. Just say, say no to the devil and raise your hand. I see it. I see you. I see you. I see that hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. Church family, let's praise God for these people who raised their hands. Amen. All right. I saw about 15 hands. Look at me. Those 15 of you, and maybe some of you didn't have the courage to do it. If you just prayed to trust Christ, I want you to take that card, and I want you to put your name on it, and a way for us to get a hold of you. And I want you to say, "Today I trusted Christ, my Savior." Somehow indicate that. Let us know. I'm expecting 15 plus of these cards. And here's the other thing. If you need prayer, we, we have already people coming. If you want to have a place to pray, we're going to sing a song in a second. But th- we have these places up here in the front. If you want some prayer, if you want to pray, if you want to bring a friend and pray with a friend, maybe you receive Christ and you want to, you want to come down here and, and talk to me or one of our pastors, we would love to talk with you. But I'm telling you, can you not feel the Holy Spirit in this room? He loves you so much. So let's stand and let's sing. I'm going to be down here towards the front. If you want to come and pray down here in the front, you can. But don't quench the spirit today. Don't quench him.